Hey everybody, and welcome to Overtly Casual, the podcast brought to you by myself, Dak, and my brother, Tyler. Hey, Ty, what's up? Not much, man. Just hanging out. Just watched some epic fights. UFC Fight Night 144. What's going on with you, man? Same, same. It's early for me, but we're running pretty late for you, right? Like 12.15? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's about 12.16 right now where I'm out on the East Coast. So a little bit late, but I'm ready to go dedication (laughs) you know i'm on the grind not a single night will i pass up an opportunity to talk with you man so yeah i'm excited to hop into this ufc fight now 144 one of the best cards i've seen in a while in fortaleza brazil centro de formico (laughs) olympica (laughs) nordestre good luck dude portuguesa is uh like russian and spanish fucked in that love child they had was a language actually so tonight that was a topic of conversation so portuguese is actually one of the easiest languages to transition into from english besides spanish so yeah that's kind of a a a piece of wisdom that i learned tonight that i previously didn't know but yeah i totally just butchered that (laughs) yeah dude uh, rolling rolling into the fights and our predictions. I know we both made our pre- predictions a little late in the game. I made mine right before, or both of us rather, made both of our uh, predictions uh, right before the main card started. I caught the prelims. You uh, did not, however, you were traveling. Um, let's go into who won out on, uh, we'll call it betting. Who won out on betting? So I'm going to assume that you won out on betting uh, just based off of your Twitter feed. Because I went three and three on the main card. Hold on, let me take a look at that. Yeah, I went three and three on the main card. What did you go? Four and two, correct? Four and two, yeah. Not in yeah. four for the year so far. Yeah, absolutely. So I am eight and five for the year, and you are nine and four. Pretty impressive, man. Anytime you're over 500 in the fight game, that's great because this game is so unpredictable. So, yeah, you got me tonight. You got the best of me, but I I have a feeling that I got some better days coming Um, because a couple of these were just toss-up fights, you know, uh, rather unknown fighters to my my knowledge, unless you're watching the Dana White Tuesday night, you know, looking for a fight series. I haven't been watching that myself. And there were a couple of them, man. There were some bangers out there tonight. So the Jose Aldo and Renato Makano fight, that was really a – uh, a brawl out there so that that's one that you really couldn't guess and there was a couple of close decisions so yeah let's jump into the main card predictions which you got me on let's go in first with uh saza versus Fro- frota 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 yeah Souza versus frota so frota really surprised me she came up in the contender series and uh not that i was counting her out but i had Souza in the second round via submission and i got fucking robbed dude I, I, I came out with a win. I, I knew that she was going to win, but I did not expect it to be via decision. Um, <clears throat> Frodo surprised me with her stand-up game. She also came in six pounds heavy, which she's already bigger than Sosa. Sosa's not a, a huge a huge lady down at 115, but she came in six pounds overweight, and Sosa still uh, agreed to fight her on the condition that she forfeits 30% of her purse. Uh 
Frodo did. So uh, she came up in the contender series. She surprised me with her striking game, um, surprised me with how well she weathered the storm. In the second round, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but she was in a rear naked choke on behalf of Souza. And if it went 10 seconds longer, she was going to be out, and my prediction was going to be spot on. But um, o- overall, I think it was a good fight. If it was a five-round fight, if that was a championship bout, um, which neither opponent right now is a championship contender. Sozo, you could argue she's making her way there, especially with this win over the bigger, uh, stronger, and arguably better on the ground uh, or better on the feet. Froda is making her way towards it. I know that's her aspirations. But, uh, yeah, good fight overall. A little bit of a surprise. Uh, I wanted Sozo in the second round via submission, but uh, she edged a good decision over uh, Froda, which I agreed with. You know, absolutely, man. Like, going into this fight, I was super surprised with the outcome because Froda, you know, just on face value because I haven't seen her fight before, I was looking at the matchup and I was like, man, this this chick is 9-0 and oh, and she just weighed in seven pounds heavy and she was already the bigger fighter going against Selza. Um, she was huge out there. You know, I'm a 185-pound man and she looked like she was about my size out there so it it was definitely it looked like Frodo had the advantage uh she definitely had the striking out there but Souza showed up uh she got her into some compromising positions in which she couldn't really deal with so it was it was an exciting fight I thought it was fun I thought the decision was maybe a little bit controversial but also just full disclosure I hopped in in the middle of the fight and this whole card I kind of jumped in you know out of nowhere and kind of made my predictions based off of what I know off of each fighter. And I don't know a lot about Froda and I don't know a lot about Souza. So it was interesting to see how that played out and, you know, congrats to Souza on the win. That was a big win for sure. I mean, the skull tat was intimidating. Did you see that temple tat? Yeah. The cross on the side of her head. Yeah. That's pretty epic. That's all I could see. Yeah, man, I'd like to see uh, going forward, I want to see Sosa continue to perform, obviously work on her stand-up, and then I want to see Froda move up a weight class because you can't come in, miss it by that much, and expect to still be a contender. Like, you can. you're good. You're competing with a high-level individual. Uh, you could knock her out if you had the time. Move up a weight class and show what you're worth, you know? You can, man. That's absolutely disrespectful to the sport. So whenever I watch weigh-ins and whenever I, I, I've seen this a couple times before, so I've seen Darren Till miss weight by a couple pounds. I've seen Johnny Hendricks miss weight three times in a row. Uh, seeing Froda miss weight by what is arguably record-breaking amount, it was kind of disrespectful to the sport. It was disrespectful to her opponent. It was a lack of professionalism, you know, and she goes out there and she took an L. So, uh, I'm I'm looking at the outcome right now on Google, and she does not have a picture for her, I guess, UFC profile. And there's a reason for that. She's a new fighter. Obviously, she's new to this game. She's new to cutting weight. So I'm excited to see where she goes. And, man, I mean, she went out there and she displayed superior striking. She displayed a couple of uh, attributes to her game that was definitely superior. I she reminds me of a bigger Chris Cyborg. So, oh, but Chris Cyborg's way bigger than her. No, nah, you can't say that. Maybe a smaller Chris Cyborg. Cyborg, Cyborg is like 150 pounds walking around. It's a pretty big woman, man. That was a pretty big woman out there tonight. You know, she. 
What what did she weigh in at? Like a hundred and I want to say it was one twenty two, something like that. So she probably walks around. It was one twenty two or one twenty three, maybe somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm sure she walks around one thirty five, one forty. Chris Sobler walks around like one fifty, one fifty five after weigh in. So she comes into the octagon at like one fifty five. So um, yeah, I I'm get not- that. But let's imagine Froda going out there against like Joanna uh, Jujace. She'd be huge. She'd be massive. And you know, we both That's know true. the game. We we both know that that has nothing to do with it because Souza is absolutely a superior uh, a superior striker, superior grappler to Froda. But at the same time, Froda going out against other strawweights, man, she would definitely tower over them. But yeah, tonight was Souza's night. It was awesome. It was great to see her in Fortaleza showing out. So. Yeah, shout out to the referee in that bout because uh, I, I think it's a female referee out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. She stood them up multiple times when Frodo was stalling, uh, acting like she was going for an omen plata and had her ankle resting really high uh, in in the guard, really high on the back of uh, Hinata Souza. And she just sat there for a solid two minutes. And I think it was three times they got stood up. So shout out to that referee for um, nipping a bud in the stalling all throughout the fight. But that was pretty good. And, you know, not to the benefit of Sosa, who's getting beat up on the feet, but to the benefit of the fans and to the judges. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and, and you, know, you know, Dak, I think that's a great point because I saw that all throughout the night, you know. I saw it in the uh, – I saw great refing all throughout the night just as an MMA fan for entertainment purpose. And uh, I guess that Brazil as a country really – is trying to get the most entertainment value out of their fighters. And, um, you know, speaking of refs, I hate to kind of shift gears here, but Damian Maya, something that I saw was interesting, uh, and it absolutely doesn't matter because he got a round one submission and dominated Lehman good. He didn't get uh, any footage against him. He did not get a single strike against Damian Maya. But Damian Maya's cousin apparently was refing the fight against Lehman good. And really? uh, yeah, that was reported against an Australian analyst. God, man, I would love to have her Twitter handle right now, but I can't remember. But, um, you know, I, I exchanged tweets back and forth with an Australian MMA analyst, and she was talking about how Damian Maya's cousin was refereeing his fight against Lehman Good, which I, I simply thought was interesting. I do not think that that was biased at all. He obviously dominated that fight. Um, which we will talk about a little bit more after this. But, yeah, man, the, the judging tonight was absolutely awesome. Uh, I'd love to see more of that in the future. You know, I'd, I'd like to see more of people allowing uh, fighters to be warriors. So, like, the TJ Dillashaw fight, um, he went down. He's going in on a single leg. It seemed like he had time to fight back. But Charles Oliveira tonight, you know, he got poked in his eye twice. Uh it was a questionable – like, they could have stopped that fight. But we'll talk about yeah. that more going yeah, forward. Yeah, we'll get that as we, as we move through the fights. Um, but to go back to the Australian analyst you're talking about, that is Katrina J. Mahoney at K-A-T-R-I-N-A-J-M-A-H-O-N-E-Y. Katrina Mahoney is the individual you're talking about, I believe. Yeah, no, that is her. And thanks yeah, for the shout out, out man. Yeah, yeah shout, shout out. Shout out to her because, you know, uh, hopping into the Twitter game, I've been out of it since 2015. Here it is, 2019. We started the podcast 
and I started following uh, some MMA analysts online. And she seems to be one of the most deliberate, if not the most diligent, about following the MMA game and reporting accurate material. So, yeah, definitely give her a follow. Um, the stuff she puts out there is awesome, and she's super engaging. So, yeah, yeah, perhaps she's hilarious, too. <laughs> yeah. Her, her tweets are funny, dude. Yeah, check her out. Check her out for sure. But, um, hey, but moving forward, let's talk about your boy Johnny Walker. Wow, yeah. So this is kind of a controversial fight here. So Dakota and I both picked Justin Ledette to win the fight, which was absolutely interesting going into this because Johnny Walker was coming off of uh, a couple of finishes that were nothing less than impressive. And uh, looking back at his track record, we probably should have looked into this fight a little bit more. So they played some highlights. I didn't know much about Johnny Walker. I didn't know much about Justin Ledette. But when they started to show some highlights, I actually texted Dak and I posted this on Twitter. And I said, man, <laughs> I don't know. I think Johnny Walker's going to fuck him up. But I picked Justin Ledette officially on my picks for this week's fight. And uh, I kind of kind of ate shit there. Johnny Walker came out and in his first sequence knocked Justin Ledette the fuck out viciously. Yeah, and I thought so. I, I was fully aware of who Johnny Walker was. Um, he came up again through the like the tough like uh, uh, contender series. Uh, he really shined through that. He had one UFC fight prior to this. Um, I thought not too much too soon, but I just thought that. Justin Ledette would give up, would give him more of a contested uh, standing game. I thought it was going to be an all-out war, and it was going to go uh, a decision to Ledette um, because Ledette has these boxing skills. I thought it was going to be a split decision, albeit uh, being in Brazil. I thought it was going to be a split decision for Ledette. I thought his professional boxing skills were going to uh, allow him to stand and trade with Johnny Walker, give him something he hasn't seen before. Um, at a level he hasn't really been tested at before, but now he's been tested. And uh, Dan Hardy post-fight or uh, post-card was speaking about, you know what, uh, Johnny Walker's proved it. He's proved it. He can compete. Throw him up there. Throw him to the big leagues. Let's see what he does against some of the best light heavyweights in the game. Because arguably, I mean, the way he finishes, guys, he might be one of the best we got. He's yeah. standing at a whopping, uh, I want to say he's like seven foot – or, or six foot seven, six foot five, something like that. An ungodly. He stands in the ring. He stands in the octagon, and he can put his back to the octagon, and his arms will rest on the top of the cage. So, um, yeah, he's a big I, guy. He's <laughs> dangerous, striking, dangerous ground game. He's uh, he's a legit guy. I'm a believer in Johnny Walker now. Tonight was his test for me, and in 15 seconds, he proved it. You know what's crazy about this fight is uh, before the fight my uh, friends were all like, man, that guy looks like you. He looks like you. And uh, I think that they were talking about his body and his body composition. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, I'm about 5'11". That guy is six foot five, six seven, whatever height he is. He was huge out there. He's towering. And I'm just like, that's a different breed of athlete. That is absolutely a different breed of athlete. And I knew going into the fight, I was like, man, Justin Lundette, has his night cut out for him. You and I both uh, called that one wrong. We ate our words, and I think that even before the fight, I hope that when you watched the highlights, you were like, ah, oh, fuck. 
Justin no, Ledette. I'm sorry. I saw him and I thought that Ledette would test him. Um, I thought Ledette would provide a test, and uh, he did. He provided a test that Johnny Walker fucking aced. And uh, Ledette, to his discredit, um, was smiling at Walker uh, like a cocky prick and, and was knocked out while he was smiling. So, Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, it was, it, it was crazy uh, to see how it turned out. And Johnny Walker, after the fight, it was an absolute spectacle. So his cut – uh, the guy that comes in and checks out his cuts come in and uh, Johnny Walker is just like humping the air and acting like an absolute uh, nut. So wait, is he a Brazilian guy? Yeah, he's Brazilian. Yeah. He so, acts American, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. 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 So I watched the fight and I was like, what the fuck is up with this guy? Is Johnny Walker that's kind of an American name there? Um, and he, he looked like an American. He acted like one. Um, he is an entertaining guy. I'm excited to see where he goes. You know, the UFC probably won't push him as far as where he needs to go. But, dude, coming out and knocking out Justin Ledette, that was impressive. And in the fashion that he did it, it was exciting. Um, he he did uh, – you texted me and you said that he threw an illegal kick. He did try to soccer kick this guy like it was pride in 2009. But – at the same time, it was a pretty fucking awesome knockout. It was exciting, and Fortaleza definitely loved that. So, Johnny Walker, shout out to you. Um, I'm definitely going to keep him on my radar in the future. Yeah, yeah, he's on my radar as well. I want to see him call out John Jones and take a uh, – I, I want to see him against a top ten contender, see how he does. Um, and, and if he calls out John Jones, similar styles, similar fashions, calls out John Jones – they're guaranteed to throw a top 10 contender at him. And uh, I want to see what he does against that top 10 uh, bracket in the light heavyweight division. Honestly, he's got some, uh, he's got the frame. He could put on some weight and go up there and fuck up DC and fuck up whoever he wants to at heavyweight as well. Um, so, oh my God. Unpopular opinion. What are you unpopular. talking about? Bold uh, claim. He's got, he's got the shine. He's got yeah, the shine. Yeah, yeah. Big shiner. I hear you, buddy. He's going to go out there and fucking fuck up an Olympic champion. What are you talking about, bro? Slow down. Let him go out there and fight someone who's legit, not Justin Ledette. Um, but, yeah, great fights. Awesome night. 15-second knockout. One of the quickest in UFC history. Um, up there with the notorious Conor McGregor's knockout of the King of Rio, Jose Aldo, which we'll talk about later. Jose Aldo uh, absolutely had an amazing night. I am, I bet against him, but I was excited as Fuck to see him get a win in Brazil. That was emotional. That was exciting. Nothing less than amazing. But we'll go ahead and we'll move into the David Tamer. Before you, Charles- before you move forward, before you move, move forward, I'm calling something for 2019. In 2019, you will see Johnny Walker versus Volkan Ozdemir. You will see that. I want to see it. You want to see it. We all want to see it. Now we can move forward. Oh, yeah, man. I think that, that I think that's reasonable. I think you're talking about DC. It's a little bit, uh, you know, I'll, I'll <laughs> kill guys out. Yeah. I want to. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, as as two amateur analysts of the game, I think that that's that's exciting. I think that's awesome to talk about. But Ozdemir is realistic, and I think that's exciting, and that's what people want. And I would love to see Walker in there with a legitimate guy like Ozdemir. I think it's a good opportunity for Ozdemir to get a win, but I think also it's an opportunity for an upcomer like Walker. Still out there and fuck his bitch ass up. 
put him back into the top 20, not the top 15. Um, so, yeah. And I say bitch ass with the utmost respect. Because <laughs> uh, he's one dude you know who'll fuck you up in a bar. He's done it before. Acknowledging that he will fuck you up. And he's done it before, like you said. But with that being said, uh, you know, full disclosure, as always, overtly casual acknowledges that everyone on these cards and everyone on the amateur side of the card would absolutely fuck us up. But we're going to move forward to Charles Oliveira versus David Tamir. And that was nothing less than a technical spectacle. Uh, and I hope that you agree with me on that. Uh, I got fucking robbed, dude. Nah, um, shut the fuck I up. I agree. I agree with the initial call about him poking in the eyes. I do agree with that. Uh, Timur, I, I think what he was trying to do was close his fist and it ended up scraping both eyes. I'm glad that Oliveira took his time. I don't know if he took the full five minutes, but he took a good chunk of time to recover and to get back into the fight. But then multiple times after recovering, he tried to call time out. And you're not allowed to do that. As a contender, you're not allowed to call time out. It is the referee's job to call the time out. So he's throwing Tamer's game off. He's he's taking him and he's saying, you know, you punching me doesn't matter because I want to come out. That's not on the fighter. So I think that um, – David Tamer was thrown off. I, I personally, I had uh, David Tamer winning that. I think via via uh, yeah round one knockout. Uh, I think he has it. I think, I think he could have done it um, had there not been the eye poke. Had there not been uh, the multiple weird stoppages that Oliveira called for, um, throwing off his rhythm and giving time for Oliveira to reset. Uh, a really good submission in round two. Honestly, it could have been a knockout. If he hadn't went for the submission, it would have been a TKO uh, either way. But there was uh, early, late in the first round, there was, a, I think, a left, uh, a lead left hook that landed flush on Oliveira. That really got him stunned. So I was excited, thought I was going to call that one. But, yeah, Oliveira edged it out. He is now uh, number one in the UFC for uh, submissions ahead of uh, Damian Maya, Damian Maya, who is tied with Hoist Gracie. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so yeah, man, uh, to your credit, I think David Tumor came out striking. I think that there was a couple of things in that fight that could have went differently from the referee's side. Um, I think that the referee could have been like, no, you can't call your own timeouts. And I think that that would be absolutely legitimate. But at the same time, I think that with the consideration that David Timmer uh, unintentionally, some would speculate intentionally pokes his eyes. Um, I do not think that he intentionally did it. I'm just saying for the sake of analyzing in a non-biased basis that he could have potentially poked his eyes on purpose that um, – the call was not all that bad. I think that the best fighter came out victorious. I mean, obviously, he has, uh, what is it, 34 fights? No, uh, 35, counting his no contest fights. Tiramir has 10 professional. Uh, Oliviera came out and showed that he was a veteran, showed that he could fight through adversity. He did get cleaned the fuck up in that first round. The left hook that you're talking about that landed on Oliviera and knocked him down. And it was great. I thought that Tamir was going to finish it. And I was I was kind of rooting for Tamir there for a minute. But when I saw that finish by Oliviera, I was like, man, that's what UFC veterans do, man. They fight through adversity and they get the finish. So it was exciting to see. 
And a shout out to Olivier. I think he's going to be a, a contender in the lightweight division. Hopefully moves up to uh, to fight a couple of exciting guys up there. I think there's a couple good matchups for him in the, the top 10, see, 15. Yeah, I want to see um, Oliveira. There's two guys that I want to see fight. Um, I'll say one guy I want to see Oliveira fight next. Pettis, uh, Pettis, please. No, Pettis. no, I don't want to see him fight Pettis. No, I don't want to see that. No, Pettis, Pettis deserves something. Pettis deserves a ranked guy. I want to see Pettis versus Kevin Lee. Um, but moving past that and getting back to Oliveira, I want to see him fight Alexander Hernandez. Um, they're both going to be ready to fight again around the same time. I want to see those dudes fight in early, late spring, early summer. I want to see those dudes fight uh, around this year sometime. And if he doesn't, if Hernandez doesn't job with that, I want to see him fight Gregor Gillespie. Now, Gillespie, again, is arguably a dude who deserves a much better fight. He deserves someone higher ranking. But I think Alexander Hernandez is a great move for uh, Charles Oliveira to fight. You know what, man? Uh, after you've said that, thinking about it and considering the positioning of this fight, I think that him fighting Hernandez would be the perfect matchup. I think that, that would be exciting. Uh, and, I, you know – Regardless of Hernandez getting finished by a veteran like Cerrone, I think that that would be an exciting fight for him. I think that Hernandez is probably the matchup to make, especially in the bottom tier of the lightweight division. Damn. Yeah, Hernandez dropped uh, 13. He's 13, I believe, in the uh, in the rankings right now. I think that a win over Oliveira will – at least maintain him at 13 or maybe jump him up above Nate Diaz, who's sitting at 12 right now as the number 12 uh, uh, ranked lightweight in the world currently, uh, which is kind of bullshit, but he hasn't contested in a long time or he hasn't competed in a long time. So I want to see Hernandez versus Oliveira. I want to see it in late spring. You want to see it. The people want to see it. Make it happen, Dana. Yeah, no, absolutely. Make it happen, Dana. That's way better than Pettis. I, uh, I think that I'm on that banter, I'm on that bullshit, that hype train. Uh, you know, I like to see two good grapplers go against each other, but I also like to see a young, hungry lion go in there and finish off some veteran, someone who's got, you know, uh, all these accolades for most finishes, all these accolades for most submissions. I would love to see Hernandez go in there and get redemption against somebody like Oliviera. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that's an exciting matchup, and – uh, I love that you brought that up, man. But uh, moving up to welterweight, we got Damian Maya versus Lehman Good. And all that I talked about going into this fight, I picked Maya to win. But as soon as I saw Lehman Good walk out, I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. Is that guy 33 years old? I was like, man, I don't know if you noticed this, but I was like, dude, he is absolutely shredded. He's in freak shape. He's 170 pounds of Twisted Steel and Sex Appeal coming out there to fuck up Damian Maya. I was like, ah, oh, Christ. But I knew from the beginning, I was like, his grappling's going to be way too much. You know, Damian Maya had 34 fights going into this. And Demon Good, I mean, Lehman Good, he had 24, not counting his no contest. So it was going to be an interesting fight, but Damian Maya did not even take a bit of damage, which... Uh, the Australian an analyst that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, she also uh, hit me back on Twitter, and she was like, yeah, man, all these wins and no damage. Damian Maya, 
Katrina Mahoney, bruh, or Katrina Mahoney. That's her name. The Australian yeah. analyst you're talking about, Katrina Mahoney. Uh, follow her on Twitter, at Katrina J. Mahoney. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, so she she passes some wisdom on there that a lot of people don't know. And, y- you know, a-, a lot of people know Damian Maya is a guy that's just going to go out there, go out there and take you down choke you out and that's what happened i think he has eight or nine finishes by rear naked choke alone that is freaky yeah damian maya he's i think this was a fight for an unranked good right uh unranked good he was supposed to come in he was supposed to put it on damian maya he was supposed to show that he can defend the ground game against a really high level guy you know arguably the best jiu-jitsu player in the game in the UFC at least um, arguably one of the best guys in the world who I say in this lifetime Damian Maya will be a red belt I think that he's got what two more fights left after he leaves the fight game he's going to dedicate his time uh, he already does to jiu-jitsu and I think that in this lifetime you'll see him as a master of the game of, oh. uh, as a red belt in jiu-jitsu oh. let me stop you there um, just for the listeners back home and also the people on Twitter, because I noticed your tweet about Damian Maya becoming a red belt. Do you want to go ahead and give some insight into what a red belt is? Yeah. So um, I don't know off the top of my head who the past uh, red belts were in jujitsu, but it's basically uh, it's the ninth. It's the highest rank that can be awarded to a living practitioner of BJJ, right? Right. So, so, so I'm uh, I'm actually sitting here with a state champion in jujitsu. Um, one of my friends, we watch all the fights together, and he just kind of hinted at me. He's like, a red belt is the highest level that you can possibly go. Correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, red belt's the highest level that you can possibly go. Um, very, very few people have achieved achieve that in the world, correct? Yeah, just the order of, like, Gracie family members and, like, a select few people have achieved that. Okay, so he said the older Gracie members and the select few outside of the Gracie family have achieved that. So, absolutely, I think that Damian Maya is on that level. I think that he's got the most, uh, second most UFC submissions, correct? Yeah, with uh, with one of the Gracie family. And he is, he is ten, up there. Ten He's got 10 finishes and eight Miss by rear yeah. naked choke, eight by choking the life out of another person from behind them. And all he does is take him down, bully him, beat him up. Yeah, man. I, you know, that is uh, for someone who ha- is excited about grappling and excited about jujitsu. That's about as exciting as it gets to see him go out there against a guy that's as aesthetic and as beast mode as Lima good, if you will, uh, and absolutely dominate him. Just take him down to the ground and choke him out. No no damage taken. No strikes. Dude went out there, got his money for the co-man event. Uh, well, co-co-man event. And, you know, he probably made $200,000 to go out there and choke this kid out in so, two minutes. To give a more technical breakdown of what a red belt actually is, um, it's awarded in lieu of a ninth and tenth degree. What I really I won't even say tenth degree right now. It's in lieu of a ninth degree black belt. And if you, uh, if the practitioner, if the jujitsu player receives his or her black belt at 19 years old, for an example of like how 
prolific it is to get this thing. If you receive your black belt at 19 years old in jujitsu, the earliest you can expect to receive the ninth degree red belt would be at the age of 67 years old. God damn. Red belt holders are often addressed uh, within the art, within the the style as by the title grandmaster. Uh, And the 10th degree was given only to the pioneers of BJJ. So when the Japanese brought jujitsu over to Brazil and the Gracie brothers fundamentally changed it, right? So you have Carlos Gracie, the guy who fundamentally changed jujitsu as a whole. Carlos Gracie, the small, weakly, sickly guy. He comes in and he says, God, this is all about speed. It's all about, um, you know, it's all about power, right? Um, Carlos Gracie changed the game and he coined what is known as Gracie Jiu-Jitsu or more commonly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And it, uh, Carlos Gracie is uh, one of the only guys to achieve the 10th degree of your black belt, which is the uh, 10th degree red belt. Uh, the other brothers, Oswaldo, Jorge, Gaston, and Helio, they all achieved this as well. But um, these brothers, they came together, they changed the game fundamentally and took it from something that was derivative of power. And, and, and it was more uh, the bigger you are, the better you are, right, and with Japanese jiu-jitsu. And now it's about manipulation, skill, technicality. And the Car- the Gracie brothers back in the day were regularly, Carlos Gracie, the small, weakly, sickly guy, um, began this art and changed the style. And he was regularly beating guys that outweighed him by 200 pounds. And that's not as impressive as outweighing athletic men who outweighed him by 90 pounds and uh, high-level practitioners. So what, what I mean when I say Damian Ma will be a red belt is – he is going to be a grandmaster in Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the next 20 years. I'm, I do not have any delusions of grandeur that make me think he's going to be one as soon as he retires. No. I think that in the next 20 to 40 years, Damian Maia will be a grandmaster in the game. Absolutely. And I don't think that that is an absurd uh analysis at all man i think that after watching his game everyone acknowledges him his only losses are against people that were athletically superior to him who just dominated him on the ground due to athletic superiority uh you know what comes to mind initially is tyron woodley kamara usman those are people that are you know uh, 15 10 years younger than him uh, Obviously, I would hope that those guys being 10, 15 years younger than him and where he is uh, are going to dominate him on the ground. So, yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank you for the context on that, because a lot of people do not understand the significance of the red belt. And uh, what yeah, it- I absolutely don't mean as soon as he retires, he's one. I mean, in our lifetime in this. And that's what my tweet reads as well. In this lifetime, he will be a grandmaster. Yeah, um, I think exhibit- I- highest level so far in the UFC. Uh, he is arguably one of the best in the world, and he will continue to uh, to grow and manifest his destiny as a grandmaster of the game. Absolutely. Great point, Dak. Um, I'm glad you pointed that out, and I'm glad that people – I hope that Damian Maia gets the respect that he deserves as a veteran of the UFC. Not only that, but also a uh, king of the grappling game. So with that being said – Let's go ahead and move forward. I, I Wait, who do you want Damian Maya fight next? Who do I want Damian Maya next? Stephen Thompson. No, no, no. Steve, Tom, uh, Steve Thompson is fighting um, Anthony Pettis. Anthony Pettis is moving up a weight class to fight uh, Steve Thompson. Yeah, yeah. Really? They're about to fight. 
Dude, that shit's gonna be exciting as fuck. I think Steve Thompson. Tracking that. I think Steve Thompson's about to dominate him. Just saying, that's my opinion. Uh, Steve Thompson. Steve Thompson. Testament on his ass. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Steve Thompson beat Robert Whitaker, who is the uh, what is it, middleweight champion. So yeah, fuck yeah, he's gonna kill Anthony Pettis. He's going to murder him. Go ahead and write it in ink. I don't care if you put me in a quote saying that uh, Steve Thompson is going to fuck Anthony Pettis up, not saying that that kid is not absolutely dominant at lightweight, but you can't just move up 15 pounds and think that you're going to dominate someone who is that much bigger than you. Um, so, yeah, Damian Maya, I actually do not know who's next for him. That, that's a great question. I think uh, in that division, welterweight. You know, I think if Darren Till wins, it will be interesting to see uh, or if Jorge Masvidal loses, I think it'd be interesting to see Jorge Masvidal versus Damian Maia or, uh, uh, you know, Darren Till. I think it'd be interesting to see the loser of that fight going against Damian Maia because he's kind of a gatekeeper kind of person in that division at the 170-pound division. So, yeah, i like to so, see the loser. So, I know that the UFC has bigger plans for Ben Askren, and I know that Ben Askren is going to be tied up sucking huge, horrible herpes cock. But, <laughs> but um, if he can find time in between that, after this fight that he has with the number six ranked Robbie Lawler, it wouldn't make sense for him to do this. I know he, he's bidding for a uh, for a top five slot. That's cool. I would love to see just as a practitioner, right? I'd love to see Damian Maya and Ben Askren go to town and see what really like the tip of the top wrestling and the tip of the top jujitsu has to give each other and. Ben Askren is obviously better on the feet, I think, and, but I'd like to see that one. I'd like to yeah, see that this year. That would be an absolutely exciting fight. And, you know, um, someone that I'd like to bring into this conversation is my good friend that I told you about, um, the West Virginia white belt jiu-jitsu state champion and former high school wrestler. What do you think, man? Who do you think would win between Ben Askren and um, Damian Maya? Who do you think would take that one? Well, I'll tell you, man, that's an interesting matchup, you know, grappling skill versus grappling skill. But the thing with Khabib is he is the dominant. Damian Maya and um, Ben Askren. Ben Askren. Damian Maya and Ben Askren? Yeah. I got Ben Askren all the way. Ben Askren all the way. Dominant fight. Easy. Easy win. Uh, I'm, so- I'm, keen to take, I'm keen to take the wrestler in MMA as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think that Ben Askren will win the fight, but uh, it would be fun to see those guys on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. So, so taking that from Corey, um, it's exciting to see that uh, coming from both backgrounds, jujitsu and wrestling, to see that um, he thinks that Ben Askren would absolutely dominate him. And you know, looking at Ben Askren's, uh, well, no, actually, Damian Maya's. Uh, strategy going into that fight he takes it straight to the ground and even the analysts the people that were commentating the fight they're like yeah he's going for that single leg before he even did it um he goes for that single leg against ben Askren. he's gonna get he's gonna get fucked up man he's gonna get yeah. dominated on the ground drives his face through the canvas and then he's gonna get ground and pounded i i mean i'd love to see it i think it's a good test for maya um it's certainly something that jumps him up uh, I, I'd like to see it. That is one of my 
fight picks for the year for 2019. I want to see Damian Maya, Ben Askren go to town on the ground. I don't care how that sounds. That's what I want to see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think I think uh, to give you some respect there, I think that you're calling these matchups about as accurate accurate as you can. I think that uh, you know those are realistic matchups. I'm a hopeful fight game analyst, if you will. I don't want to call myself an analyst, but I'm a hopeful person. I am hoping for the most exciting matchups, and I do not think that Damian Maya and Ben Askren is exciting by any stretch of the imagination, but that's realistic. I think that that is setting up Ben Askren for a win over a veteran, which will only move him forward, which I think that Robbie Lawler is. But with that being said, my friend, let's move forward to, uh, you know, Renato versus Jose Aldo, the king of Rio in uh, – Florida, Fortaleza. Dude, first off, don't disrespect Portuguesa. It's Renato Moicano. Okay? Renato Moicano. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, um, no, let it be known that Papa called this one. I got robbed on a couple calls. I got robbed on the Souza choking out Froda in the second round. I, I, I said that Souza would uh, defeat her by submission in the second round. In the final seconds of the second round, she had a rear naked choke sunk in, and she was going to get it. She was fighting it away, but if there was 15 seconds left in the fight, she would have finished it. Maybe 10, 15 seconds, it would have been over. I would have called that one. If, I, agree. Uh, I, I, I do agree with you there. And, uh, on his uh, – First round lead left hook that he rocked Oliveira with. I would have called that one too, but one that I did not fuck up, one that I did not fuck up, one that I got correct, one that I called, and one that Papa knows he was right about was a round two TKO via Jose Aldo to Renato Moicano. What do you think about that fight? Man, I think that if you watch that fight, all that it was was veteran against someone who was inexperienced but obviously athletically superior. And obviously came in there the better fighter. But Jose Aldo is a, a, a champion of the game. Jose Aldo has 32 fights. Junato Moicano, um, which I just want to remind you, Moicano is a, I don't want to say it's a nickname, but it's a more pronounceable last name than his uh, Brazilian last name, which is like uh, Cardenario or something like that. Um, yeah, Moicano is, is uh, it means Mohawk, which doesn't make sense, but yeah, it means Mohawk. Yeah. It, yeah, whatever, man. I don't, I don't really speak Portuguese. But he only has 16 fights compared to 32, which is only half of what Jose Aldo has. But I think that Moicano came in the better fighter. I think he came in superior athleticism. Uh, his head game was right. He was thrown right. But Jose Aldo is a champion of the game, man. He came out there, and actually my stream lagged out, and then I had to watch some highlights from the fight. But uh, from what I could see is uh, Hunato won the first round. But Jose Aldo came out swinging. So it was – Yeah, uh, Jose, here's the thing about Jose. Uh, off the top of your head, do you know how old Jose is? If you had like to guess. 35. No, nah, he's 32 years old. I think that people make him a victim of his, of his experience level. He was the WEC god. He was the UFC god, right? Until Conor McGregor came along. No, no, but, no. He was the number one pound for pound at one time. Yeah, he was the god. He was the god of the featherweight division worldwide, right? The king of Rio, the king of featherweight, unstoppable, right? 
he's only 32 years old. Everyone's like, oh, is he past his prom? Oh, is, the, is he this? Is he that? Dude, he's 32 years old. Damian Maya is in his early 40s. And I get it. He doesn't take as much damage. But I would argue that Jose Aldo, while he was dominant in the beginning, right, the, the level of player, the level of athlete has increased. And I think Jose Aldo is increasing with the level of athlete. Look at the body shot he landed on uh, on who the fuck is that guy. Look at, look at the body shot he landed on him. Look at the 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 put, the hurting he put on Hinata Moicano. He is rising to the level of the Jeremy Stevens, which he could have beat anyway. Back in the day, he would have beat the fuck out of Jeremy Stevens. Ah, uh, come on. That- those of you guys that haven't watched for a couple of years, when I say who the fuck is that guy, I'm talking about Jerry, Jeremy Stevens. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, not to cut in on you, man. Uh, not to cut in you on uh, cut in on you, man. But I think that Jose Aldo stooping down to Jeremy Stevens is a steep drop. I think Jose Aldo is an absolute stud. I think there's two people in the MMA universe that he cannot beat, and that's Conor McGregor and Max Holloway, um, which is going to be a roadblock for him to continue to try to chase through. Uh, you know, with two losses behind Max Holloway, he's in the same position as. Steven Thompson in the welterweight division. I do not think that he's going to get another shot. I think he's going to be a gatekeeper to that championship challenge. I think he will defend that well, and I think he'll probably fuck everyone up. I think up next, we got to see Ortega and Jose Aldo. You got to see Brown Ortega and him. You got to see that, and I'm glad that you agree with me on that, man. I think that you got to see Brian Ortega and Jose Aldo. You've got to see the test of Brian Ortega striking. And we've got to see Jose Aldo go out there against another elite guy. Uh, no matter what, I don't think Jose Aldo deserves the next deserves the next shot. Uh, you know, since he's lost the last two fights to Max Holloway decisively, but I think that's an exciting matchup. I think that that's a huge pay per view draw, uh, especially if you're uh, a fan of the sport. But yeah, like I said, that's kind of covering two bases there. I think Jose Aldo's got to fight Brian Ortega next. Here's here's what I want to see. In a perfect world, Max Holloway kills himself to cut to 145. Kills himself. I want to see Max Holloway jump up to the lightweight division. I want to see Max Holloway take another fight against Conor McGregor. That's not going to happen. Conor's got the fight with Cerrone coming up. But I want to see Max Holloway challenge someone in the top five, right? The, the Kevin Lees, the Alec Quintas, the Dustin Poirier's, the Tony Ferguson's. I want to see him challenge somebody there and then fight for the title there, right? He's a he's a high-level guy. He could do it. I want to see him leave 145 because he sucks his body down. It's obviously not conducive to his health. obviously not conducive to his longevity. I want to see Holloway jump up and wait to 155, vacate. Let's just leave. Just leave the 145-pound division, not because he's too dominant there, because he's sucking his body away, he's gonna hurt his longevity. He's gonna. He, you're already seeing the punch drunk coming out, in Max Holloway. So let's abandon 145. Do your brain a justice. Go to 155. Jose Aldo versus Brian Ortega fighting for the vacated title. Now, is it a hollow title because Holloway's beating them both? Maybe, but that's what I want to see. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Hold on just one second. The ring that I'm in is echoing badly. Let me step out of here. Um, sorry about that. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think that Brian Ortega is probably going to be the next champion. And Max Holloway is wasting himself away at 145. I think he's got to move up to a lightweight division. I do not think that he's going to contend for the title. 
against Habib Nurmagomedov. But I think taking him up there against some of the top guys, like I said, last podcast we discussed the whole Jameson proper 12 spiel, and I think that that's exciting. He's already built a fight. We're all ready. Let's go. Take that fight. Yeah, Conor I- McGregor. Conor McGregor, after he beats Donald Cerrone, I think that that's already the most exciting fight. And if Donald Cerrone beats Conor McGregor, I mean, him facing off against Max Holloway is pretty fucking exciting, too. That nearly guarantees him a shot at 155 just off the clout of Max Holloway. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. So, yeah, I've long been a proponent of the lightweight division and how exciting it is. If you look at the top 10 rankings, you look at the top 15, you have so many exciting guys that that – Really, any matchup you pick is going to be a great fight. Twenty nineteen is going to be a great year for Dustin Poirier, Alakinta, Kevin Lee. I want to see make a bounce back. I want to see Barboza make a bounce back. I want to see these guys come back from the losses they've been handed and uh, and really come into their own. I want to see Gaethje come back to being the most violent man in the sport. Um, yeah, it's twenty nineteen is a good year for the lightweight division. Really, overall, it's an exciting roster for the top 15 in every weight class you go to, except for the 125-pound division. Dana, get rid of the flyweight division. Absolutely, man. I agree with you 100%. You got to get those guys moving up. You got to get um, – you got to get – ah, shit. You got to get TJ Dillashaw defending that title up there, man. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that, but let's move onward. So, don't forget it. Papa guessed it. Papa predicted it. A round two TKO for Jose Aldo over Renato Moicano in Brazil. The king of Rio is the king of Brazil again, so let's see him get after it. Um, Up next, and for the main event of the evening, we have uh, Asuncao versus Mores. Asuncao. Asuncao. That's it. Asuncao. uh, Rafael Asuncao versus Marlon Moraes. Marlon Magic Moraes. I had him winning this fight. I did not have him winning via submission, though. I had him winning via round three TKO. He happened to finish the fight before that, which I'm pretty happy with. So, um, what, what's your take on that fight? Is it? Uh, did you see it coming? What, what's your deal? Did you predict that? Yeah, absolutely. I predicted Moraes finishing Asuncao in uh, the first round. Just because I think his athleticism is way too much, man. I saw him against Ajaman Sterling, and the way that he finished him brutally in the first round was just nuts, dude. It's something that you do not see typically. So that type of athleticism, even in the UFC at the highest level, is crazy to see. So I kind of expected Marais to come back a different fighter, even though he has one loss to Asensio in 20. I think 17. Yeah, he lost to Asensio in 2017. Um, uh, even though I've seen him lose to him, I was ready for him to come back a different fighter and someone who, who could beat him. So going forward with this, uh, I don't know if you caught the post-fight interview that he did in the Octagon, but when uh, Mike Bisbing was coaxing him to call out, and Mike Bisbing is going to be one of the best commentators that – the UFC has. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but Mike Bisbing is coaxing him into calling out Cody, Cody Garbrandt, right? And yes. he says something that I think beautifully set him, or not Cody Garbrandt, TJ Dillashaw, my bad. Um, he's setting him up to call out TJ Dillashaw, and Morris did something that I think is the best move he could have done. He could have said, 
come on, TJ, fight me, blah, 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 blah. What he said is, TJ, after your last performance, I don't know if you deserve to fight me. I might have to fight somebody else, but we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Fight a title shot. Do I think it's going to happen? Nah, I don't. TJ's tied up with Henry Cejudo. But what I do see happening is fighting the former bantamweight champion, Cody Garbrandt. That's what I want to see. Oh, man, that would be a hype fight. So athleticism versus skill, that's what I see that as being. So Cody Garbrandt is a technical fighter. He's going to come out there emotional, swinging, absolutely looking to take your head off. And Marlon Marias has a type of with, uh, athleticism to withstand that, battle through it, and that would be a war. I think Marais would win that. I think Marais is likely to become the king of the division, and it's going to be exciting to see that. Um, so, yeah, man, I think that that's a, that's a good breakdown, and I think I'm excited to see that matchup. Dude, funny story about Cody Garbrandt. You remember a couple years ago when you came to visit me in Vegas? Was it a couple years ago? No, it wasn't. Uh, this was last year, right, when I got back from <laughs> Afghanistan? You the, came summer, to- the summer of 2018, buddy. Yeah, that was last year. So um, when you came to visit me a couple nights before you showed up, I actually, when Cody Garbrandt was fighting, um, it was against Dillashaw in 2018, I believe. Um, His family was staying at the same hotel I was staying at, and I got shit hammered in a hot tub with Cody Garbrandt's redneck as fuck Ohio family. Like, Cody Garbrandt is this, he's not suave, but he's like he's got some swagger to him. His family's redneck as fuck. Not in an insulting way. It's just they're just well, rednecks they're, from Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, I was about to say, man. There, there's some Ohioans. Um, so uh, weird story here. Uh, one of my good friends that I went to university with has told me about how she's now in optometry school in Ohio, and one of her best friends is cousins of Cody Garbrandt. So she knows him. She knows the family. And uh, yeah, man, she told she tells me the same thing. It's interesting to see how uh, how many parallels are between those people there and the people here, the blue collar people of West Virginia. Yeah, dude, I got shit hammered with those dudes on strawberry Rita's in a hot tub, and uh, of course they were hyping them up, but we know how that ended. Um, <laughs> but oh, they were man. there. Like, yeah, man, we're trying to go to the racetrack. Blah blah blah. I was like, oh shit, all right, boys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I want to see. I want to see Moraz step up and uh, fight Cody Garbrandt. I don't think uh, Dominic Cruz is really uh, in the game right now. So um, not something I want to see. I want to see Cody Garbrandt and Moraes for the winner of that fight. Uh, hopefully Moraes fighting the winner of Dillashaw and Cejudo at bantamweight with the flyweight division being shut down. So we'll see. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that's how it's going to play out. But yeah, man. Uh, overall, UFC Fight Night 144, uh, one of the best cards I've seen in a while. I was excited to see it, and I was glad that we got to go back and forth on Twitter and talk about it and even get some people engaging us on there. So, yeah, always give us feedback. Follow me on Twitter, I underscore Illuminati. Uh, let me know what you think about my predictions. Let me know what you think about my commentary. Same goes for Dak. And, dude, it's been great. It's been exciting these past couple of weeks to see us build up to how many listeners we have. Yeah, we're pushing 200. Um, hopefully, I know we've been shouting out my biz being, uh, we shouted him out in episode three, uh, but shout out again to Mike Bisbing for the second time in this podcast um, or this episode, rather uh, his 
commentating was amazing today. And and his emotion that he got into it, he got me into it. So shout out to the Believe You Me podcast. Shout out to Mike Bisbing um, and his future endeavors with ESPN and the UFC commentating events. But yeah, man, I'm having a good time. We've got uh, close to 200 listeners now, uh, which is far more than I ever expected, you know, going five episodes in. Um, thank you for your continued presence and your continued uh, breakdown, man. You got anything else to say tonight? All I want to say, man, is that uh, kind of going to reiterate what you said. Thank you guys for checking us out and listening. It's been crazy. 200 listeners. Uh, I'm glad that we have some kind of impact. And we had a couple of people tweet us and talk about, you know, how we're breaking through with this new ESPN deal. And we're kind of on the, the ground floor of that ESPN deal and the new UFC, UFC breakthrough. And, uh, you know, this thing kind of started off as me just wanting to talk to you more, kind of wanting to connect with Dak a little more, uh, a way for us to connect and talk with a hobby that we both share. So, yeah, uh, I'm excited that this turned out to be a little more than that and that people are actually listening. So shout out to you guys who are listening. And, um, yeah, man, I'm excited to see where this goes. Dude, what time is it for you right now? Uh, <laughs> 1.15. 1.15 a.m., dude. That's commitment. That's what I'm talking about. All right, brother. Well, I'll close this out. This has been Overtly Casual, hosted by myself, Dak. And my brother Tyler were available every Saturday and now every Wednesday with a smorgasbord of extra shit that we're going to do leadership, uh, guests, all that good stuff. Shout out to Davey Chu. Uh, shout out to uh, Off in the Woods and his hit single, uh, Sin Nudes. But thank you guys for listening and have a good one. See ya. See ya.